So let's pray, and then we're going to get into John chapter 11, the last week. Father, um, I pray today that you would give us ears to hear, <laughs> eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience, that your word would bring life to us, that it wouldn't just be like church, something religious, but we would truly, because of your words, come to have hope for a future with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was funny, um, throw Chase under the bus just a little bit more. So we took a selfie Friday with Coach Dodane. We took this selfie. I should have sent it to the tech booth. We took this selfie, and after we took this selfie standing there, he has a nice chain necklace. So Saturday morning, I woke up, and I'm like, this is going to be hilarious. I, I, I took um, my finger, and I drew a cross on it. And since he's been coming to church, I'm like, okay, here you go. So I drew a cross on it, and I said it, sent it to him. I said, I didn't notice your cross necklace yesterday. So uh, I think he greatly appreciated that. He said, I'm going to wear it today. <laughs> so John chapter 11, last week. And uh, Dave Snyder's a grandpa, too. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations, Grandpa. So is it Grandpa? What is it like? Oh, gee, what, what, what do they call you now? People. People. All right, people. All right. John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. There is an app for that as well. So the first part, first section, we're going to simply just try to not rush through, but get through. And then at the bottom half, we're going to sit there a little bit longer. And over the next couple weeks, um, Jonathan Pack and Stu will lead us in um, John chapter 12. So verse 28 on the screen, here we go. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, um, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So again, remember, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus died. Jesus is under two miles away. And um, because he's died, they cry out to him to come. But yet he's two miles away. And he said, I'm going to wait two days. And then, uh, or he stayed another two days. And then he finally starts making his way back. So we have a dead guy who's been been there for four days, just not one. That's kind of where we're at. But verse 32 says, but when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, you guys remember the, again, you should, Luke chapter 10, the two different, um, the way that Mary and Martha both, 
both participated with Jesus, right? Martha was the one who was doing the dishes and doing all the chores when Jesus was there, and Mary was the one worshiping at Jesus' feet. So then last week, what we ended up seeing is when Martha approaches Jesus about uh, what had just happened, she says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So it, Scripture doesn't really make it clear what her attitude was. Maybe we could um, take some liberty and assume what her attitude was, or maybe we don't. But there, there could be an assumption that Martha's approach to her question to Jesus was similar to the way she was doing the dishes, doing the chores around the house. Not necessarily accusatory, but possibly accusatory, like, hey, if you had been here, if you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. Now, if you've been married or in any kind of relationship, you realize that you can ask the right question very accusatory. Come on, somebody. Macy has asked me before. She says, you, you were not being nice to me when you asked that question. And I'm like, fault me with the question. She's like, no, it was your attitude. And I'm like, no, fault me with the, how is the question wrong? The question is the right question. But it's the attitude behind the question, right? Many people, or some people, have suggested that Martha's questioning here of Jesus was almost accusatory of if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. So Jesus, why didn't, why weren't you here? But now what we see with Mary is going to be something different. She does ask the same question, doesn't she? Or she makes the same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But she did it a little bit differently, didn't she? How did Mary do it? She fell at his feet. She fell at the feet of Jesus in worship in spite of her brother dying. See, in every situation, we are to find ways to bring glory to God. Every situation. When things were not going Mary's way, she found a way to worship God. And when things do not go your way, we should act like Mary and find ways to worship him. See, because there was just that little difference, the subtlety. Martha stood there and asked the question while Mary laid at his feet. Let's go to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Short scripture in the Bible, two words. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, so you guys can memorize scripture this week too. Jesus wept. So if anyone ever asks, do you know a Bible verse? Say yes. John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Right there. The Jew said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not 
He who opened up the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So you have, you have these different people who are religious, and then you have followers of Jesus, and then you just have people who have questions. And what I see going on here is everyone from every group having a question about Jesus' love. The believers have questions about Jesus' love. The religious people, meaning people who just go through the motions. And then those who have questions about who Jesus is. There's, there's this questioning spirit. Don't you guys recognize that in our world today? That there's participating church, that there's questioning spirits within everyone? There is. We, we, we just have questions. See, Martha standing there said, if you had been here. So what was she questioning? God's love. See, there could be a scenario by which she's questioning God's love, saying, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. So we hear that in the world today. Well, if God was real, why would he allow bad things to happen? If God was real, why did he let my animal die? If God was real, why did he let my girlfriend break up with me? If God was real, if God was real, if God was real. So they have these questions, and because they don't get the answers that they like, then they feel like they've disproved God, correct? Because if there was a God, God would certainly listen to me because I know it all. And that's really what we see going on right here is Mary and Martha don't know the whole picture. So Jesus isn't answering them immediately because they don't know the big picture. So Martha has the question, or the, makes the statement, but the question in God's love of if you had been here. And then Mary does the same thing, but she does it a little bit differently, right? If you had been here, but even in her question, she still worships. And then you have the, the people, right? They ask the question, couldn't the man who healed the blind person have kept this man from dying? So it's natural to be in the room with people who have questions about their faith. And having questions about your faith doesn't mean that you can't walk under the saving power of the blood of Jesus. Amen? But in spite of the questioning, because our nature is this. When people start to question you about your intent or your heart or your actions, what do you typically do? You say, let's go. You buck up. You start throwing something back, or you get backed into a corner, right? And you get backed into this corner, you're ready to throw some stuff back. And you're like, oh, yeah, you remember four years ago when you did this? You're, you're fired. But Jesus is questioned here, and when Jesus is questioned here, he's still moved by compassion. So your questions to God do not offend him. You realize that? He was weeping because of the situation that was going on. Jesus has compassion for you and I. Jesus has compassion and love for this world. Jesus is deeply moved by our heart's cry. So if you got something going on, 
Take it to him. Don't just think about it. Take your problem to Jesus. Verse 38, we're still not at the place where I want to sit. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But the Lord said, um, sorry, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he has been here for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So what's interesting to me is dead for four days. He's stinking. Lazarus smells. So he's, what I said last week, he's dead, dead. No coming back to life without supernatural powers. His heart is no longer beating, no, no longer air in his lungs. His eyes completely shut. Limp. No muscle in his body working. The decaying process has actually started to take place. So Martha says, what are you going to do? He's been dead for four days. The decaying process has already taken place. And he says, move the stone. So um, our participation with Jesus is paramount. Jesus requires participation from you and I. Because what does he say? He says he was deeply moved, but, but then he says, take away the stone. What happens if they didn't take away the stone? He wouldn't, he wouldn't have entered. I don't know if he would have moved it himself. Because there's things that God calls us to that through our obedience, then the miracle can happen. So he says, move the stone. And after they moved the stone, then Lazarus was raised to life. So Jesus requires our participation. Now, does our participation earn our way to heaven? No. Does it earn us merit with God? No. But as we said several weeks ago, obedience is the conduit to God's blessing. Now, look, you can tithe in vain. You can um, buy someone's meal in vain. You can come to church and worship in vain. But there's moments where we just have to surrender and slow down and be obedient to the things that God puts on our hearts. So if they wouldn't have moved the stone, I'm not sure that God or Jesus would have healed Lazarus. Um, does your belief lead you to follow God or yourself? And I'll ask you this. When's the last time you really felt moved by God to do something? Isn't that an interesting question to ask? When's the last time you felt really moved by God to do something and you did it or you didn't do it? See, if we're telling to the unbelieving world and to the secular world that you get to walk in this relationship with Jesus Christ, 
that, it, that, that it's greater than just this religious activity that we walk in, then I believe that as a church, we better have examples of where God has been speaking to us and how he's been moving us. Right? So, um, when's the last time God led you to do something? And when's the last time you said yes? Verse 42. I know, or I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. Lazarus is alive. See, Jesus' purpose throughout this whole process is so that you and I would believe. Lazarus now, four days dead, came back to life. Now, what's really unique about that is this, is um, Jesus was very specific. He said, Lazarus, come out. Jesus is so powerful that he just, if, he, if he would have just said, come out, everyone might have came back alive, right? <laughs> here's David, here's Daniel, here's Moses. Everyone's alive. And I say that to joke, but I also say that very seriously. Jesus is so big that maybe every, every piece of grass that ever died would have came back to life. Every worm might have came back to life. So Jesus was very specific here who he was calling back to life, and Lazarus came back to life. And, um, yeah. Power, the power of God at work. But where I want to sit today is verse 45. Uh, 45 and on. So we're going to spend a little bit more time here. Wanted to read the rest, rest of those verses just to give you context throughout the, um, the chapter. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. So a lot of people had questions, but then when the miracle had happened, then they believed. Some people believe by reading the scriptures and the, the scriptures coming alive in them. Other people believe after just coming to church on occasions and then, and then God showing up in a real way in their life. So that's kind of what happened here is many people saw what Jesus had done and then they believed but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The tattletales, right? The narcs. <laughs> then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. So what we saw earlier in the book of John is 
Jesus is going through, and Jesus' disciples are baptizing people, and Jesus is healing people, and Jesus is turning water into wine, and Jesus is turning fish and loaves into food that can feed 10,000 plus. So he starts to, starts to garner this following, and while Jesus is garnering this following, everyone begins to think about themselves. Kind of what's happening nowadays as well, and I'm going to get there here, here in a minute. But what ends up happening is um, because Jesus is garnering this following and they see power and they see maybe even a good speaker, they say, we want to put him in position to be our political figure. Because with this man who has the power and the following, he will certainly overtake Rome and we can be set free. So what everyone wants is a political figure rather than a savior. What does America want today? Do we want a savior or do we want a political figure? Because I'll tell you what, I'm just going to be completely honest. Most people that I talk to, they want a political figure more than they want a savior. I step on anyone's toes yet this morning. Or do I need to come a little bit closer? <laughs> Most people in America seem to want a political figure more than they want a savior. Amen? Maybe America is the Pharisee too. Maybe I've been the Pharisee throughout election season. Maybe I've been the Pharisee into 2021. And I hope that you ask yourself those same questions. So what we see is they've been wanting a political figure. Um... So the narcs, they go to the, essentially the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, the highest level court there is. Now I get nervous when a cop's behind me, let alone having to go to the Supreme Court for a case, right? The highest level, the Jewish ruling council. This isn't a small ordeal anymore. This isn't just, hey, this man Jesus is healing people and his disciples are baptizing people and there's miracles going on in his life. There's this real frustration and this power struggle going on because people are more worried about their comfort than they are seeing the Savior. So what ends up happening is it goes all the way up to the Sanhedrin and... Um, this isn't them just trying to stone Jesus anymore. It appears as if there is a urgency for their survival. Like, hey, we, we've wanted to get rid of this guy before, but now more than ever, we recognize that if we don't do something, the Romans are going to take our temple and they're going to take our nation. So we got to do something. We have to do something. Jesus has become a threat to them because if more people continually follow him, then the Romans will not have the power that they once had, or they will feel like the Jewish nation is conspiring up against them. So there's some history going on here. It wasn't just <laughs> our Christmas walk scene that we depict the story of Jesus in. Crucify him, crucify him. 
It's not just that. There was so much more going on within the people that, that yes, they were blinded, but also they were blinded because all they wanted to do was protect themselves. And whenever we're inward focused, because the world says, just learn how to love yourself. Learn how to love yourself. Learn how to love yourself. I think that's a lie from Satan. I think you should learn how to receive Jesus' love. And when you receive Jesus' love, then that's all that matters to you, not loving yourself. Because actually when Jesus says, love others the way that you love yourself, I actually think it's a rebuke as well. But um, I'm going to try not to get on a rabbit trail. <laughs> Make it plain. <laughs> so... Um, there's so much more going on here because people were so concerned with their safety that they missed Jesus. They were looking to politics and strategically positioning people for politics to save them. Now here comes a big rebuke. Are we as a nation missing Jesus because we're looking to politics and not him? Jesus might be in our midst right now, but be, because we're looking to politics, we're actually missing him, which therefore makes me the Pharisee who also put Jesus on the cross. Because don't tell me, don't tell me that if we were back here in the time of Jesus and there was this man causing problems, Jesus was causing problems, that there isn't conservative people who would say, if we don't get rid of him, we're all going to die. Or in today's language, they might say, if we don't get rid of him, we're going to be in concentration camps. Or if we don't get rid of him, we're going to have to receive a chip in our arm. And if we don't get rid of him, and if we don't get rid of him, and if we don't get rid of him. Now look, not on a Sunday morning, out for coffee or um, lunch, um, dinner, I'll have those conversations with you, and you know what I'll probably sit there and say? I think they're true. I think there's a lot of truth to them. But here's where I will always disagree with you. I don't put my faith in a political figure. I put my faith in Jesus. So I'm not going to be pointing these problems at or trying to say um, this candidate or this candidate and I try to, I'm not going to try to make myself safe based upon a political candidate. Amen? So what, what they ended up realizing is if they don't get rid of Jesus, then Rome's going to come kill them. Remember, um, they wanted Jesus to be king. But now, since he's not going to be king, they have to get rid of him. The idea didn't come from nowhere. This meant that Jesus wasn't just a blasphemer. Blasphemer, right? They said that he was committing blasphemy because he said he was the son of God. He wasn't just a blasphemer, but he was a threat to the whole nation. And now that Jesus is a threat to the whole nation, they have to do something about it. The Pharisees and the Jewish people were so worried about the safe, their safety that they missed Jesus. And I will say this today. We have missed Jesus because we're concerned about our safety. Now, being a participating church, do we feel like, do you guys feel like there's ever been a season in your life where you've missed Jesus because you've been concerned with your safety? Participating church. 
I, I know that I have been. Still, as often as I've said it throughout the book of John, the Savior is right in front of them, but they miss it. Let's continue. Verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. Do you not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people, that the whole nation uh, perish, than for the whole nation to perish? He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. He said, y'all know nothing at all. Those are fighting words, aren't they? I dare you to tell your spouse that today. <laughs> you know nothing at all. Let me tell you. Dave and Hope already tried it this morning. <laughs> you know nothing at all. Doesn't this sound familiar, though? Caiaphas says, um, you, do not, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation. Perish. He did not say this on his own. This is how nasty Caiaphas was. He said, I have a solution. Kill Jesus so we all can be spared of the Romans' wrath. Isn't that kind of the heart of our nation right now? Just kill something. Just kill something so it will no longer be a problem for you and I. Just kill the, the baby. Just kill the baby in the mother's womb so that we don't have to deal with the problem for the next 40 years. There's a problem within our nation. See, there's a story where um, several years ago, probably in the 90s, where um, this teenage couple, uh, many of you probably know the story, but this teenage couple had a baby. Um, they went to a hotel room, they had the baby, and the baby ended up dying. Well, upon the autopsy, they figured out that it had brain damage and it was murdered. But if they would have called an abortionist a week before and had them do the procedure, it wouldn't have been murder, right? A week before. See, a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to kill off the problem rather than live. So Caiaphas's heart here says, let's just kill Jesus so that our nation can be spared. Because if we don't kill Jesus, then the whole nation will be destroyed by the Roman people. You start to hear the gospel. You start to hear the story of Jesus here, right? See, really what Caiaphas was saying is, let's substitute Jesus for our nation. So if we get rid of him, the Romans will be at ease. There won't be this great following of him. So let's substitute Jesus so that we all can live. 
So there's two things that I want us to see out of this paragraph. Number one is substitution. Number two is this, is God was directing this moment. Those are the two things that we're going to talk about the rest of service. Substitution. And God was directing this moment. So if you're taking notes, you just write down substitution in bold. Give it, you know, like 10 extra swipes, right? Just make it dark. Substitution. Verse 50. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. This is the gospel story. See, at the core of our Christian walk is what? Substitution. That's what it's about. You and I deserved hell. You and I, as I shared several weeks ago, the illustration, you or I on a boat that is sinking, we were born into a boat that is sinking because we're all sinful. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send you substitution. I'm going to send you a way out. There's lifeboats. If you jump onto the lifeboats, you can be saved. If you stay on the ship, then you're going to die. Many people just choose out of their arrogance, out of their pride, just to stay on the boat while other people get off on the life, um, lifeboats. See, Jesus provided substitution. This is what our faith is about. Not like other faiths where we have to earn our way or things that we have to do. It's actually completely opposite. It's not about anything you can do. It's about everything that you can't do, and you can't earn your way into the holiness of Jesus. We must have a substitution, a payment made. And the payment made is Jesus Christ. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins as a substitute so that God's wrath, and people are like, I know there's people who say, no, we evolved, or we came from this, or we came from that. No, we didn't. How did something anything, even the first particles come from nothing. Where did the first nothing come from? It came from God. And you're like, but, but, but I can't understand that. Yeah, you can't understand that because you're not God. And that's why we live by faith and not by sight. So substitution. We needed that payment. And see, we often think that there isn't payment for sin because of Jesus. Yet the payment was Jesus. Jesus was the payment. Macy doesn't even let me step on ants anymore. Even yesterday, there was a spider, and I'm like, Oh, man, back in my day, I'd just be like DDT in these spiders, like, shabam. But Macy's like, oh, a spider. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I could kill it and break her heart. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so I turn around and pout and don't kill it. Here's what I want to say is Macy's heart towards that spider would have been broken a little bit. She would have been over it, especially if it came at her. <laughs> True story, though. 
again, I've told you, we have our master bathroom that's kind of her, her spot, nice and clean, and then we have the public bathroom at our house. We call it like the gas station bathroom, Speedway. It's just so dirty, like, because I use it, that's mine. So if you ever come to my house, just realize if you have to sit on the toilet, you better stand. <laughs> um, don't touch anything. Elbow on the handles to wash your hands. Paper or toilet paper on the door handle when you exit. <laughs> and then kick the door open. Or maybe I'll install those new foot things. Either way, um, in Macy's bathroom, the master bathroom, she told me like three weeks after the fact, hey, you know, there's been this big gnarly spider in, in the bathroom for like three weeks, but I think it bit me, so I, ha uh, I need you to get rid of it. <laughs> like, woman, we got this big gnarly spider in there, you tell me day one. But her heart for life just things living and having value and purpose. She hates hunting. She loves her dogs. She values and just loves life, what we're experiencing right now. And here's what I'll say. Macy, the way that you love life pales in comparison to the way that the Father loves Jesus. The way that you love your family pales in comparison to the way that the father loved his son. The way that you love your family, the way that you love life pales in comparison to the way that Jesus loves you. The way that the father loves you. So to think the way that it breaks Macy's heart when a little birdie dies or, or a goose is walking by itself Come on now, just, just have a soft heart for a moment. <laughs> for a goose just walking by itself. <laughs> the way that that breaks our hearts, Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to be that substitution and die on the cross. God was willing for his heart to be completely broken because of his love for you and I. He said, I'm willing to provide my only son as substitution so that we all could walk in a relationship with him. I always hated substitution in sports. You're not taking me out. I'm playing. But I've learned to appreciate substitution when it comes to Jesus. We can't make it right on our own. He substituted Jesus to take on our sin so that every tribe, tongue, and nation would have the opportunity to know him personally. We get to know God personally today. Amen? So Caiaphas says this, either Jesus dies or we die in a physical sense. Either Jesus dies physically or we die physically. What did God say? 
as a better Caiaphas? He said, either Jesus dies or we all die spiritually. Living in hell for eternity, separated from everything good. Absent of the presence of God. First Peter 2, 24 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By whose wounds you have been healed. He bore our sins on the cross. Nothing that you did there. He did it all so that we can just walk in a relationship with him. And I hope that there's no one in here today saying, I know the gospel story. I understand the gospel story. No, this, this is the foundation of your faith. This, this is what it's about right here. This should be bringing joy to our sleeping hearts. 1 Peter 3, 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He put to death in the body. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Praise God that our life is not about how good we are, but about how, but about how Jesus was substituted for you and I. Right? It's not about how good you are. It's not about the lists of rules, the do's and don'ts. It's about walking under that blood of Jesus. The next thing I want to talk about is God was directing this moment. Verse 51 says, he did not say, that the, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. So he did not say this on his own. There was something else going on here. How did he not say it on his own? Well, God was at work. So what I see happening here is God brought these words to Caiaphas' mouth. Have any of you guys ever said anything to someone and you're like, I don't even know where that came from? Anyone? And they're like, that's ex exactly what I needed to hear. It wasn't just God making, his, um, making this work together for the good of us in this situation. So what, what I'm really saying is this, is, is these events were not happening, and then God saying, how can I turn it into good? How can I turn this 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 one into good? That's not at work right here. Now, we understand God makes all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his plan. We understand that, but that's not what's taking place here. What's taking place specifically right here is God is making this happen. God is um, almost forcing his will. So um, God brought these words to Caiaphas. God had a plan for Jesus that he was directing. And do you think that if God had a plan for Jesus that he was directing, that he would also direct a plan in your life? 
He does. There's reasons why you're at church today because God had a plan for you. There's reasons why you grew up in this community because God had a plan for you. There's reasons why you grew up in your family because God had a plan for you. There's reasons that God has allowed the dysfunction within your families because God had a plan for you. There's reasons why we have lost loved ones because God has a plan for us. We don't like the plan. Always. But there's a plan. And right here what we see is God is forcing his plan on his son. Um, God was directing it. He had a will that Jesus would go to the cross and die as a substitute for you and I. God planned this for you and I. So when Caiaphas prophesied these words, it was sealing Jesus' fate. Because the words were not on his own. Jesus was going to be hunted down and murdered. Yet God allowed it to happen. God was steering it to happen. Jesus was chased down at the Garden of Gethsemane with no escape. Why? For our good. God had a plan for you to be able to walk free and to have peace with your life. And you say, now wait a second. Um... Jesus surely loved going to the cross, right? Well, it was the joy set before him that he went to the cross. But do you remember at Gethsemane what he prayed? Father, if you can take this cup another way, will you do it? Can this cup pass another way? Jesus didn't love the Father's, um, the way that the Father was executing the will, right? He said, is there any way that you can make this happen? Is there any other way that you can make this pass? His son crying out, just as the spider cries out to Macy. I got a spider on my arm. I got a bug on my shoulder. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Y'all just let me up here with the bugs. That needs to be on the four-minute church this week, huh? You know what? That was a governmental drone, okay? How about that? They were spying in on us here in Mechanicsburg. Thanks, Macy. The rest of you, what about you guys? Just let me sit up here with a bug on my shoulder. That had to be a bug from Satan, because now I'm nowhere close to where I was even. <laughs> so Jesus is crying out in the garden, can this, can this go another way, right? Can this cup pass another way? And God says, no. And Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours. Now, I'll probably share 
a little bit more into this um, here in a couple weeks. But there's this unique idea of this is when we face challenges in our life, there's really three things that we have to do. The first thing is this, is we have to pray. So Jesus is facing something in his life that, that he's worried about, that, um, that he's never faced before. He's facing murder. So what do we do? We pray, and we ask God for help. So that's what Jesus did. He prayed. He stayed up, and he prayed. And when he was in um, the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was fasting, and he was tempted, what did he do? He prayed, and he fasted. So Jesus, in the moment of Gethsemane, he's fasted before. Now he's praying. And he asks God, he says, is there any other way? And God says, no. So then what does Jesus say? Not my will be done, but yours. So in your life, when you face unbearable situations that you've never been in before, that you don't know how to get out of, what are you to do? Fast and pray. And then the final thing is this, is when, when you've fasted and when you've prayed and you've done everything you can do, you say, not my will be done, but yours, and you obey. Amen? Jesus wasn't forced to the cross. Jesus willingly went to the cross. Jesus obeyed to the cross. So when God tells you to do something, you must obey as well. So Caiaphas, after he prophesied, sealed the fate of Jesus. Jesus was going to be hunted down and murdered. And Jesus allowed it. In our lives, this will happen often. God will be working through people, and we must find his will in it. There's going to be Caiaphases that we encounter in the church, at work, at school, in our family. Right? Anyone feel like they've ever encountered a Caiaphas? Anyone think that there's a Caiaphas in here today? God uses, God uses people to cause us to be obedient. Amen? We're wrapping up. So from afar, it seems as if Caiaphas was an evil man planning to kill Jesus. But when you get a little bit closer to it, you see that God was actually at work. And what I want to caution us in is this, is those stupid people at work, right? Those ignorant family members of ours, that dumb person that just passed us, or the silly person texting and driving. Whatever word you want to use for that certain person, what I would say is this, is God might be using them in your life for a very purpose. And what we thought was Caiaphas being evil was actually God at work through Caiaphas. Amen? Does that mean that Caiaphas wasn't being evil? No, his actions were still evil. 
but God uses those moments in people's lives to steer us and direct us. And our response is to be like Mary's. And what was that? Even when things don't go our way, we are to worship at his feet. God is going to be working through people, and we must find his will in it. The last point, and then we're out of here. God sent Jesus to die for everyone and unite them. For everyone, not just some. God came for everyone. Make it a little bit personal. God came for you. God knit you in your mother's womb. He knew you even before that. And he died for you and I. But he also died for everyone else. And he wanted everyone else then to be united. Verse 52. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. God wants us all to be one body, united together in love. We also learned in um, John 10 that Jesus said that he has sheep in other pens, right? In other folds. So that's really what Jesus is saying here is, look, I didn't just die for the Jews. I didn't just die for the Gentiles. I died for everyone. Every color, every creed, every tongue, and every tribe. Everyone. He just didn't come for a specific type of people. He didn't come for um, just the good people. He actually came for the sick. So we as believers are to find ways to walk in unity with other believers. But we are also to be thankful that as we were scattered, that he was gracious enough to come find us. You and I have been scattered. And Jesus came to find us and to unite us. Amen? I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to pray and get out of here. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among these people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So now the warrant is out for Jesus' arrest. And we're going to find out here in several weeks, a couple weeks, that Judas decides to betray Jesus, right? For a little bit of money. So the first, uh, I guess, half of the book of John has been over a few years of Jesus' life. Now the rest of the book of John is going to be over the next week, the last week of Jesus' life.
where he dies for you and I. Let's pray. Father, life is tough. It's hard. There's a lot of questions. There's frustration with you not doing what we want. Um, may we trust you. May we grow in trust with you. May we appreciate that you substituted Jesus for us. Father, may we uh, appreciate that um, there's some things in our life that you just make happen for our good, even though we don't like it or we wouldn't choose it. Help us recognize those things as you use people, Father, in our life to cause us to find ways to bring glory to you in the midst of our trials. In Jesus' name, amen.